singing together right there. Um, welcome, everybody. My name is Alex Barrett, and I, I realized I walked on stage and it was just like, hey, let's, I'm going to dance a little bit. Um, I'm the campus pastor here, and we are really glad that you're all uh, here to worship with us. And today we're kicking off a series uh, called Identity. And if when you walked in, you didn't get a program, if you raise your hand, somebody from our First Impressions team will make sure uh, that you get one of those. Inside uh, the program, like John has walked you through already, there's some things that you can explore related to Church in the Valley. I encourage you to complete finishing that uh, connection card. Uh, and there's also some uh, sermon notes. If you'd like to take notes, uh, you can you can do that as well. And today we're launching a new series uh, called Identity, and we're going to be exploring uh, what what identity is and how does that impact our lives. And identity is something that's actually at the core of many things uh, that that impact us sometimes without without even realizing it. Identity is also one of those things that's that's misunderstood. And so here at Church in the Valley, uh, we want to actually take uh, a biblical perspective and a look at what the Bible says, uh, who we are. And so I want to just kind of start by defining identity to give us a working definition that we can kind of all like launch from. And this is uh, what this series will be based on the next several weeks. So what is identity? So identity in a simple definition is who I am. At the core of my being. Many times we don't wake up and we don't ask us, who, who am I? If you do, you might have had a really rough night. But that, that question is at the core of identity. Of who, who am I? What makes me, me? And is it something that I define? Is it something that others define? Culture defines? How, 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 do we, how do we come to grips with that? And so that's what we're going to be talking about in this series. But identity is simply who I am at the core of my being, like who I am on, on, on the, the inside. Okay, now there's two kind of aspects of identity. And this is where there's a tension. There's identity that is actually assigned to us. And then there's identity that's chosen. And from the biblical perspective, you realize that a lot of our identity of who I am at the core of my being is actually something that I didn't choose at all. It was actually decided by God, the creator. And so in identity, there is a certain amount of reality, actually all of reality that flows out of God's hand. So who I am at the core of my being from a biblical perspective, from a Christian perspective, is actually connected to God's design for us. And so as I'm speaking about identity, I'm going to be talking about things that that you may struggle with and I may struggle with when we try to define who we are. But as we deal with that tension, we always have to keep going back to the one who made us. Now, that that's a big assumption that we all have to decide. Do you believe that God made you? And if you do believe he made you then that's going to be a key component to defining who you are. If you don't believe God made you, then he actually doesn't have a part in defining who you are in your own life. But from the biblical perspective is God is the creator. He is the designer. And so design, God's design is actually an important part of our identity. And you find this in the, in the beginning of the scriptures in the book of Genesis. Identity was even connected to how God created us. And he created us in two major categories, male and female. And even that is a part of who we are at the core of our being. This is 
connected to God's design. In Genesis 1.27, you can see it up on the screen. It says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So there's three major kind of categories. The first one is, is that we were created in the image of God. So there's this value that God gave humans different than any other value of anything else that God created. And it's to be in his image. And that image signifies our worth. And it also signifies the fact that we relate to God differently than any other thing that he created. So he set humans with a value different than any other created thing because we can connect with God. We can know God. He's designed us. He's created and he wants a relationship with us. This is all tied to who we are at the core of our being. So we're created by God in his image to know God. And then you see these two categories, male and female. He created them. So from the beginning of time, as people define who they are, it's really classified by these two categories. You're, you're male or, or you're female. And so there's this part of our own identity, which wasn't chosen. We were created this way. And you find that in the scripture. And so this, this premise is important because you have to realize part of this tension of identity is there are certain aspects of who we are at the core that we actually didn't choose at all. God is the creator chose it for us. And so he has a major part in defining who we are. And it's not just from when he created us. It's actually a major part in our life and our well-being. And that's what we're going to be talking about in this series. So that's the first part of identity. It's something that's assigned to us. And from a Christian perspective, it's assigned by God. He's the creator. He made us. He's the designer. He decided who we are. Now, the second part of that creates attention. There's part of our identity which is chosen. That's free will. In fact, this part of chosen identity is connected to God's design for our identity. And God designed us, created us with a free will. And that actually is a beautiful thing. Freedom is a beautiful thing. God made us in his image to relate to him. God made us in his image so we could know him. But he does not force us. To turn to him, he doesn't force us to reference him. He doesn't force us to even consider him being a reality of God, a reality of the world, I should say. And so there's this amount of free will with identity where we can decide whether God's design impacts us or not. And so part of the, the battle and the struggle of identity is there's this confusion between who we are at the core and then the choices that we make. And then how, how do those impact each other. So if I can choose who I am and what I want to be, how does that align with God creating me and what he wants me to be? And there's a tension there. I want to show a video that highlights, I think, some of the tension that we face on this topic of identity. And it's somewhat humorous, but it also shows the confusion. And I don't show this video to kind of make light or make fun of the people that are answering questions. But when people talk about identity and what makes somebody somebody, depending on your view, whether it's completely up to you or whether there's something else involved, that, that leads us to different paths and destinations. So let's watch this video and then we'll, we'll talk further about this. There's been a lot of talk about identity lately. 
But how far does it go? And is it possible to be wrong? We went to the University of Washington to find out. Are you aware of the debate happening in Washington State around um, the ability to access bathrooms, locker rooms, spas based on gender identity and gender expression? I, I think people should be able to have access to the facility. I think uh, bathrooms could and potentially should be gender neutral because there doesn't need to be a classification for differences. I think people definitely should have the ability to go into whichever locker room they want. Uh, I feel like at least public universities should do their best to accommodate for those who do not have a specific uh, gender identity. You know, whether you identify as male or female and whether your sex at birth is matching to that, you should be able to utilize the resources. So if I told you that I was a woman, what would your response be? Good for you. Okay. Like, <laughs> yeah. Nice to meet you. I'll be like, what? <laughs> really? I don't have a problem with it. I'd ask you how you came to that conclusion. If I told you that I was Chinese, what would your response be? I mean, I might be a little surprised, but I would say, good for you. Like, yeah, be who you are. <laughs> I would maybe think you had some Chinese ancestor. I would ask you how you similarly came to that conclusion and why you came to that conclusion. Um, I would have a lot of questions just because on the outside I would assume that you're a white man. If I told you that I was seven years old, what would your response be? Um, I wouldn't believe that immediately. Uh, I probably wouldn't believe it, but I mean, I, it wouldn't really bother me that much to go out of my way and tell you no, you're wrong. I'd just be like, oh, okay, he wants to say he's seven years old. If you feel seven at heart, then, <laughs> then so be it. Yeah, good for you. So if I wanted to enroll in a first grade class, do you think I should be allowed to? Uh, probably not, I guess. I mean, unless you haven't completed first grade up to this point, and for some reason you do that now. If that's where you feel, like, mentally you should be, then I feel like there are communities that would accept you for that. I would say so long as you're not hindering society and you're not causing harm to other people, I feel like that should be an okay thing. If I told you I'm six feet, five inches, what would you say? question. Why? <laughs> because you're not. <laughs> no, I don't think you're 6'5". If you truly believe you're 6'5", I don't think it's harmful. I think it's fine if you believe that. It doesn't matter to me if you think you're taller than you are. <laughs> so you'd be willing to tell me I'm wrong? I wouldn't tell you you're wrong. No, but I say that um, I don't think that you are. I feel like that's not my place as like another human to say someone is wrong or to draw lines or boundaries. No, I mean, I wouldn't just go like, oh, you're wrong, like, that's wrong to believe in it, because, I mean, again, it doesn't really bother me what you want to think about your height or anything. So, I can be a Chinese woman. You... <laughs> um, sure. But I can't be a six-foot-five Chinese woman. Yes. If you thoroughly debated me or explained why you felt that you were six-foot-five, uh, I feel like I would be very open to saying that you're six foot five, or Chinese, or a woman. It shouldn't be hard to tell a five nine white guy that he's not a six foot five Chinese woman, but clearly it is. Why? What does that say about our culture? And what does that say about our ability to answer the questions that actually are difficult?
just ease this right in in this series. Uh, presents, though, the tension, right? We have freedom. Freedom to define who we are. Now, this series, like, I'm not going to stand up and I just went right into gender and sexuality and all that. And that's not what this series is going to, is going to be about. But the issue brought up on this video is, is tied to this idea of who, who am I? And is who I am just tied to my own feelings of who I am? Is who I am tied to other people's thoughts or feelings about who I am? Or, or is there more to that? So for the Christian, this is actually a crucial topic that we have to have really nailed down for ourselves. And then if you're not a Christian and you're exploring Christianity, this is a big aspect of who you become when you decide to follow Christ. That is, does God have a part of defining you and what you're about and your and your value? And if we remain independent, completely free people that can do and feel and believe anything we want, then where does God fit into that? And so these questions and these issues are are not meant to confuse us, but they are kind of meant to in the culture that we're in and in our lives and the things that we face at work and at school and in our families and the decisions. You know, these questions are, are connected to who we are how we view ourselves, how other people view us. And then in the middle of that, what God has to say. So from the biblical perspective, certain things are assigned to us by God. He created us. And then at the same time, we have free will. We decide whether we're going to align with that or not. There's a second aspect to identity as well that kind of serves as just kind of putting things in the, the right categories. There's our primary identity and then there's our secondary identity. Okay. Our primary identity is the definition that I gave you at the beginning is who I am at the core of my being. That's my primary identity, who I am. Secondary identity is who I am based on the roles that I play, the labels I have that I've given myself or the labels that other people have given me. That's secondary identity. What tends to happen as we talk about identity and we think of who we are, our secondary identity ends up many times becoming the primary identity that defines us. For instance, I am, I am married. My wife and Samantha and I, we've been married almost 16 years. My role as a husband is part of my identity, but it's not primary. It's a big aspect of my life. And God has created me to have this relationship with my wife. And as a husband, I have a certain role to play, but it's not my primary identity. I'm also a dad, but being a father is not my primary identity. I'm also a pastor. Being a pastor is not my primary. These are roles that I play. And then I started thinking about what are the labels that I've been given in my life? Think about the power of a label. You know what I mean by label? Something that somebody calls you or that you call yourself. Those are secondary. It's of an interaction. Somebody has what they see. Based on their own experiences, based on their experience with you, and they call you something. I actually have labels in my own head of what people have called me that stick with me. You know, you can think of what people call you, especially if it's negative, and it it can impact you. Your own view of yourself, your self-concept. But those are actually secondary. The roles that I play, 
the labels that I give myself, the labels that others give me, they're, they're secondary. The reason that's important is because if our labels are only the role that we play, what if we totally bomb in an area of our life? For instance, there are a lot of you that students. And so right now, part of your secondary identity is your your student. You're you're an academic. Now, there's different levels to how academic you are. But what happens in your class that you thought you prepared for? You bombed the final that determined your grade and you ended up bombing the class. Should I even speak of such things? And you have to call your parents to let them know that the final that you thought you were prepared for, for the class that you thought you were going to pass, you didn't do any of that. And you have to take it over, which is going to cost them money. What if student academic was the only identity that you had and you fail? Does that make you a failure? And you're thinking, it depends, like, was it like a 50 or like a 30%? Like 30 failure, okay? 50 closer, right? You can see, like, but that, that can become prime. Athletes, any, anyone, like, here consider yourself an athlete? <laughs> yes, there are people that do consider them athletes that play in the Super Bowl, but the rest of us, ah, we may have had our, our time in the, in the limelight, but if you're an athlete, that can be your identity. It takes a lot of your time. It determines your value. But what happens if you get injured? Today in the Super Bowl, there's going to be people that win and then there's people that lose. So what's their identity? They got that far, but they lost. You can see that these secondary things are so important to us, but what becomes difficult with identity is when we, we, we fail. And so the goal for this series is we, let's straighten out our primary identity so that it can actually impact the secondary identities we have. And part of that is just we have to identify and realize that some of the times we operate life out of these secondary identities, the labels we give ourselves, the labels others give us, and the roles that we play. There's more to you than that. That's the good news. Why is that good news? Because we fail a lot in those areas. If you're married, you fail as a spouse. If you have kids, you fail as a parent. If you're students, you, you don't always do a great job. In your career, you can have so much success, then you can get fired. You can get let go. What does that say about your identity, your value? So we have to square away our value primary, the value that we have outside of the roles that we play, outside of the labels that we have. Okay? And that is what we're going to be talking about in this series. How turning to God as the designer and creator of us actually gives us what we need in our primary identity that will impact the other areas of life. Okay, so identity, who we are at the core. It's assigned. And we also choose whether we align with that. Primary identity, who we are at the core, secondary, the roles that that we play. Over the course of this series, we're going to be digging into the book of 1 Peter, which is found in in the New Testament of the Bible. And 1 Peter, it's not like when he wrote, he's like, I'm going to write a book about identity because people are going to face that. But what he's actually writing in the book of 1 Peter is, is so much information about God's role in all those that decide to follow him. So in the free will that we have, 
if you decide to turn to God for your purpose, for your direction, first Peter's writing, this is what happens. This is the kind of person you become. This is the kind of life that you live. And so the, the lens of this book is what would happen to a life given over to following Jesus Christ? What would happen if your identity was wrapped in God's view of you? Now, the good news is because of your free will, you may not have decided that yet. But what God wants to do is he wants to, through his scripture, always be painting a picture. This is what life with God looks like. And you can take it or you can leave it. But you have to decide, like, is that if that's true and if that's real, is that better than the life I have without him? And we all have to decide that. But a Christ follower is one that's cross line said life with him, his way is better. And so the book of first Peter is written with, with that in mind, how you view yourself impacts the direction and the outcome of your life. Okay. So we're, we're going to be looking at these. I want to read first Peter. It's also in your handout so you can kind of see it and have that, that with you. First Peter one, one through two. I don't do this a lot, but today we're going to be looking at two verses. Now, the good news is you think, wow, church is going to be out early, like Super Bowl's coming. And that may not mean that, but we are going to be looking at, at two verses. So uh, I want to read that. First uh, Peter one, one through two, it says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. To those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. This is what they call an introduction. My introductions are like, hi, how are you? Peter's introduction is more like that. Okay. If you read sometimes the Bible, you're like, what? I, I couldn't even get past the first little like, hello. The reason is it's packed with perspective. Again, Peter's like, look at life a certain way. Look through this lens. And, and that's what he wants all the readers to do. And so I want to kind of spend some time camping out on these first two verses. I think it will kind of serve as a helpful foundation for the rest of the weeks of this series. Okay, so, so the first is Christ followers. This is what Peter's telling Christ followers have a new prime identity from God. When you decide to follow God, decide to follow Jesus Christ, when he becomes your boss and your leader, who you are at the core of your being changes. It's not a role that you play. It's not a slice of life that you add on. The core of your life changes. So Peter is saying, for all who follow Jesus Christ, you're completely changed. And he defines that in two words in verse one. Okay, after he lets them know who he is, he says to those who are elect exiles, those two words, if you're taking notes, underline those two words, elect exiles. I want to start with the word exile. It's basically somebody living in a country, not their own word that we may use today is, is an expat. Like you're not a citizen of the country or the region in which you're living. And what Peter is saying is when you decide to follow Jesus Christ and you let him lead your life, 
You're no longer a citizen primarily of this world. That doesn't mean you just get taken up into heaven. What it means is your value, who defines you, what's important to you, the priorities, you're now in a different system. And it's upside down. As an exile, God is first. When you don't follow God, me, I am first. So it's, it's right away. It's a completely different identity. God's first. He's the king. He determines my life, what I'll do. And I have free will and there's still a wrestling that goes on. But ultimately, I'm going to do what he says. So there's this different way of thinking. So our identity at the core is tied to this view of you're an exile. You don't belong here. I don't know recently if you've seems like the only time you, you see magazines these days, it's like if you go into a dentist's office, doctor's office, because, you know, everything's digital now. But back in the day, when I was a kid, <laughs> back in the day, they had these things called newspapers and magazines. They're made from trees. Okay. But you'd go into a, an office and you'd see this magazine and it was basically this like collage of the worldly value system. Like what's important? Because on the front cover, the magazine's saying, buy this, read this, this is what's important. And so you have people that look good. You have people that are successful. You have people that are like, these are the prime, these are who we want to represent our culture. And so you measure kind of your worth based on who you see. Do I look as good as that person? Am I as successful as that person? This person did this. Have I done that? And this is what happens with our identity. And what what Peter is saying is those magazines, those value systems, those pictures change. You can no longer look at that and measure yourself. You can't. Your life is different. Your measure now is am I pleasing the Lord Jesus? Am I doing what he wants? And the way I know that is through his word. And as he speaks to me, am I doing what he says? Okay, so that's the exile part. We live in a different system. Pleasing God himself. Now, the elect part speaks to the fact that God chose us. And when you decide to, to follow God, you become a child of the king of the universe. Before you become a Christian, you, you're really in rebellion of what the Bible says. We, we've gone our own way. We've sinned. We've messed up. We're independent. And so spiritually, we're orphans cut off from God. When we decide to follow Jesus, we become a part of the royal family. God is our king. And he's, and he's chosen us. This is the idea of election. And election shows up in the scripture. It's actually kind of hard to, to kind of put our mind around that because of free will and God choosing us. How does that work? Well, the way you know you're chosen is you choose God. And you're chosen. That's how it works. God wants all to be a part of his family. But the people that are part of his family are those that choose to follow him. It's the way that you settle that tension is you make that choice towards God. I, I will follow you. Your system, your way of thinking, the flavor of life that you give, that's, 
what I'm going to base my life on. So Peter, to the elect exiles, to those who've been chosen by God, to those who don't get their whole value from the world and the culture and its system of what's important. And so he's saying that this is for you, elect exiles. And then he goes on of the dispersion. The dispersion is talking really about an event that happened as the new church was getting started in the first century, where because of persecution, Christians who decided to follow Jesus were scattered and they were fleeing for protection and for their life. And so what happened is these elect exiles chosen by God, not of people of this world, but of people of the heavenly kingdom. They were scattered with this new identity. So the picture is elect exiles that have been put in a place where God wants to use them in a place that they've not been. And so that that's to, for us. We're here because of the spread of Christianity for the scattering that's happened throughout the world. So the elect exiles in the first century in the Middle East are connected to the elect exiles here in America and throughout the world. We're part of this dispersion of the spread of Christianity. And we have a role to play in our world to be different. And we're going to talk about this in this series. Expect to be different. If you decide to follow Christ, expect your life to be different. And that's what Paul's saying. You're an elect exile scattered with a new identity to share with people in the world. And then he lists the cities. So for us, we have this opportunity as Christ followers today in our own world to have this new identity. This is what it means to follow Christ. So that's verse one. Christ followers, those who become Christians, decide that he will lead us. He will call the shots. There's a new way of life. The standard is flipped upside down. And now we're measuring ourselves. Not by the culture or the world, but by what God values and what he says in the Bible. Okay, so that's verse one. That's verse two. Or verse, sorry, verse two is next. But verse two now now shifts the corner into well, what does that mean for us as elect exiles scattered? What does that mean? Well, when you decide to follow Christ, it means that this identity you have to continually keep in focus. We should always keep our new identity in focus each day. And this is a choice. It's a battle to live within the value of what God says we are, who we are, what we're supposed to be about. And so Peter uses some phrases to kind of allow people to see what this new identity will look like. Elect exiles, the first picture. Scattered, the second picture. And then he goes on in verse 2 and he, and he, he kind of expounds on, on what this means. And so for, for you and I, if you follow Christ, this is kind of the foundation of your identity. If you're not yet a follower of Christ, again, Peter's writing this so you can see this. Okay, this is what this would mean. This is the impact that it would have on me personally. And I want to highlight some phrases in verse two. Let me read it and then I'll kind of highlight it. It says, according to the foreknowledge of God, the father and the sanctification of the spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. 
So the first aspect is according to the foreknowledge of God, the father. What this means in the original language is foreknowledge. There's actually a lot packed into that, that word. It means that God, before you were created, knew who you were going to be, where you're going to be born, the family he was going to give to you. He knew everything from the minutest, smallest detail to the greatest. But his foreknowledge, there's this personal, loving knowledge that God has on all he's created. So according to his foreknowledge, so Peter is saying you could have tremendous hope if you decide to follow God because you're connecting with the one who made you, the one who loves you, and the one who knows you. How many times in your life have you had a really rough situation and you just feel like, I wish I could talk to somebody who gets me, who understands me, who knows me, that they have this history with me. And there's tremendous comfort we have in a relationship where people know us. One of the most scariest things in life is when we go in a situation where nobody knows us. We're just kind of another face. What Peter's writing is, We can live life knowing that the most powerful, the most strong, the most loving person knows us in a personal and a loving way. There's a lot of a lot of hope there. And Peter's speaking to this fact that God is is a personal God. So when you decide to follow him, he wants to know you further. And he wants you to be able to know him and he'll show himself and he'll lead you and he'll guide you in life, in the present, in the situations that you face. And he has the ability to help because he knows us. And not only does he know us, he has the resources, he has the power to help. So that's the first key phrase. According to the foreknowledge, God knows us, he loves us, and it's in a really personal way. The second phrase is in the sanctification of the spirit. So there's a sense in which Paul's saying is when you decide to follow Christ, you're going back to the creator and he accepts you because the creator is accepting the creation. It's, it's kind of aligned back. We're turning to the one who made us. Then the second part is this sanctification of the spirit. Sanctification in the scriptures talking about the growth process. When you come to Christ... He accepts you out of the foreknowledge. He knows you. He loves you in a personal way. He accepts you. It's not like you're, you're not a stranger. Of course he accepts you and he knows you because he created you. But what Peter's saying is then there's this process of, that happens when God accepts you. He changes you. And this is where even identity today is skewed because we think acceptance means I have freedom to choose who I am, what I want to be. And nobody can tell me different. That's true. Actually, nobody can tell you different, but you may be wrong. And what God's saying is, I accept you. I love you and I know you. But I'm going to sanctify you when you turn to follow me. I'm going to turn your life inside out. I'm going to grow you. And the sanctification of the spirit is talking about this atmosphere 
this spiritual realm where when you decide to follow God, God, the spirit, part of the triune God, there's God, the father, Jesus Christ, the son and the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside you. So when you hear people talking about God's helping me, God's leading me, it's the Holy Spirit. We have to keep in step with the spirit. What Paul's saying is by the sanctification, this spiritual atmosphere, whatever you face, God will use even the hard things God will use to build you into who he wants you to be. And when you face the, the same sin that you've struggled with and you feel like you can't change. Peter's reminding us with the spirit of God, you can change. You can overcome the addiction. You can overcome your past. You can overcome your fear. God knows me personally. He loves me. And then he's given me his Holy Spirit to change me. The sanctification of the spirit. All of this is rooted in who I am at the core because I'm a sinner and I fail. But God knows me. He loves me. And when I turn to him and follow him, he changes me. So we have to keep this in view. This is who we are. And then the the last phrase I want to highlight is for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. Now, for us in the modern era, we're a little disconnected from the idea of, of blood. But if you read the scripture in the New Testament and the Old, you, you see blood show up a lot. The reason is in the Old Testament law, when a law was broken, there was a, a sacrifice that had to be made. There was a debt. Sin is a debt, something that's owed to God. God is a just God. And he forgives. But there was a sy- system of sacrifice where if you sinned against God or you sinned against somebody else, There was a debt owed and there was a sacrifice that needed to be made of a pure, blameless animal, the shedding of its blood and its sacrifice. It paid for the sin. So if you're one, why do Christians talk all about blood and Jesus? Like this is why, because when Jesus came, he became the sacrifice once and for all to pay for the debt of sin. So all of this is connected. Peter's saying is God knows you. He loves you in a personal way. When you decide to follow him, he gives you his spirit so he can change you and you don't have to stay the same. And then he goes on and you can follow Jesus by the sprinkling of his blood, meaning you can be forgiven. The reason this is connected to identities, because back to the labels. If you've ever committed a sin you could be labeled that as a sinner. If you've stolen, you're, you're a thief. If you've ever cheated on a spouse, you're an adulterer. If you've ever lied, you're a liar. If you've done it, that's who you are. But what Peter is saying is that label is secondary. Because of the personal knowledge, love that God has for you. Because he's given you his spirit. Because he sent his son. We can change. The label that people give us, the label we give ourselves, the roles that we play, it's, it's so much more than that. When we mess up, that's not the primary definer of who we are. When we wrong somebody... It's not the primary definer of who we are. 
What Peter is describing here is this process of where even with the rubble in our lives, even with the things that we wish were different about us, even with the regrets, even with the fears, even with the doubts, all this shifts, the elect exile, you, when you follow Christ, you become a child of God. That is your primary identity, child of God. And that changes everything. So Peter wants us to grasp life like this. He wants us to see differently, child of God. And if you see yourself as this when you follow God, then it really impacts every aspect of your life. Because when you mess up, you're still a child of God. And God gives you the strength to clear it up, to make things right, and to move on. And so for, for all of us, part of what we have to do is we have to recognize this reality. And even if we're not fully sure it's true, we have to think, well, what's the alternative And it really becomes like a hamster on one of those wheels. The alternative is just you have to do better. Because if God doesn't have a part in defining who we are, then we're defined by what we do. And we're a mixed bag where we do good and then we do a lot of bad as well. So when we do bad, we just kind of have to speed up on that hamster wheel. The problem with the hamster wheel is how far does a hamster get? They get tired. How long can I do this? You think I'm already a little tired myself. That's what it's like. You just keep spinning, but you're, you're not going anywhere. This is the alternative. I define myself. I define my value. And if I mess up, I just have to work harder. And if somebody's wrong me, I just, I have to get over it or I have to be embittered to them and kind of factor that in and trying to get better. And you see, it's just on this wheel. And what, what Peter is saying is who you are at the core can change if you allow God to change you. And so I I just, on the, the front end, in your own life, I think we have to wrestle with this ourselves. Who's defining me? My own value. When I get upset at myself, when I get frustrated, discouraged, depressed, what's going on inside of me? Why? Why? What's the standard of my value. How do I know I've made it? How do I know I'm good? How do I know if I've done something that matters in the world? We all, this is all tied to identity. So, so wrestle with that. Consider these things. And then over the next few weeks, I want to invite you back. We're going to talk more about this. And allow God, if this is true, allow God to give us this, this new way of life. So consider these things. I want to encourage the band to come back up as I wrap up. And if you've not yet finished filling out that connection card, pull it out. And on the back side of that is some next steps that I encourage you to take. And these next steps are actually tied directly to this series. Okay. Uh, The first one is to resist the pull to put my roles and labels at the core of who I am. So. When you're down on yourself and you're really frustrated, a lot of times it's because you've messed up in a certain area. You've messed up in a certain role that's defining you. So you have to resist that. There's really a next step before that is to recognize that it goes on. 
so that you may just want to start there. Recognize that I'm defined by the role that I play and the labels that I have. That's not entirely bad. There's certain responsibility to that, but we get in trouble when that's our primary identity. The second next step is read first Peter one this week. I went over two verses, but I encourage you. One of the best things you can do as you're exploring Christianity and even as you're trying to grow, read the Bible for yourself on a Sunday morning. You, you hear verses, but if you can read it for yourself, remember that sanctification of the spirit, God's spirit will speak to you. So allow him to do that. Take time to, to read the Bible and ask him to, to show you. And if you don't understand, talk to a friend that, you know, here at church in the Valley, ask for some help. They would love to help you. And then the last next step is come back for the rest of this series. I think this series can be really helpful for our, for ourselves, just in our own value, what we're giving ourselves to. And then it really can impact the way that we interact with others because people have a lot of questions on who they are and their value and the way they, they fit in the world. So as Christ followers, we, we have a place in helping people.